Thank you for listening to this new episode of our podcast, By the Still Water. Our hope is that these discussions will encourage your search for the God of heaven. Again, thank you for listening. Have you ever looked at Google Earth? Only a few years ago, the ability to use pictures taken from satellites was only available to secret government agencies and spies. But today, thanks to Google Earth, everyone from city governments to historians to real estate agents use Google Earth every day. A geologist looking at a mountain range can locate different areas of interest, while a roofer can give you a fast estimate on the cost of a new roof, all using this same tool. But Google Earth, of course, is not one picture, but many thousands of pictures stitched together. It's called a composite. Each individual snapshot taken from space provides an element that fits into the whole. When talking about the Bible story and the Bible message, that is one way of thinking about it. It takes many pictures, written in words, to complete the picture of the Bible story. Here is one example. One of the ideas we have explored is the word blessed. It is one of the recurring and central themes of the Bible story. But what does it mean, and who is blessed? One of the key moments in the life and the teaching of Jesus is found in the record of his mountain sermon. Many consider this speech, found in chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew, to be the most challenging moral declaration in human history. It is focused on motives, not just actions. It is a call to action regarding fake religion and pretense. It questions ideas of happiness and anxiety, hate and fear, and helped define the very ideals of kindness, the so-called golden rule. But this is not a call by Jesus for reforming Jewish practices. To think that is the primary focus takes the emphasis off of us. In fact, that has been the problem with the Sermon on the Mount since the very moment it was spoken. Its words and directives are so radical and challenging that many people throw up their hands and say it is completely impractical, a mix of sentimentality and impractical advice. But that was not what Jesus was saying then and not what he is saying to us now. Jesus was asked a question, Are you a king? The person that asked him was the governor of Judea, a man by the name of Pilate. Jesus stood before this governor on trial for his life. And the main accusation that concerned Pilate was this statement of Jesus being a king, someone that might be a political rival. Jesus acknowledges that it was true. He is a king, but not like Pilate would think of it. His kingship was not about politics or borders but found in people who choose to be different, who choose to be citizens of an eternal, heavenly kingdom. Pilate, even knowing that Jesus was no rival, in fact, he knew he had done nothing wrong, decided to execute Jesus for political reasons. But if Jesus was not a political rival of Pilate or Caesar, what was Jesus doing? Jesus was teaching a new way of thinking and living. We know this because of what is said just before his mountain sermon. It says that he was traveling around preaching, quote, the message of the kingdom. So if we are going to understand the kingship of Jesus, we need to understand who are the people that make up that kingdom. That is what the mountain sermon and the rest of the words and actions of Jesus were about. 
The mountain sermon is directly connected to this good news of the kingdom. It is a complete speech in the sense that it has an introduction, a thesis statement, key points, a conclusion, and a call to action. The most basic takeaway from the speech is, do you want to be a part of my people? Here is what it's going to take. Now, this is not an exhaustive list of what Jesus demands of his believers, but it captures the essence of who they are and how they should think. This takes us back to this word, blessed. Nine times in a row, Jesus uses this word in his introduction to this pivotal speech. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Just a brief look at this shows that this is a kingdom unlike any other in this world. Jesus speaks of people being gentle, merciful, pure in heart, and peacemakers. Jesus invites those he spoke to, and us today, to be citizens of that nation that begins and ends with the idea of blessed and being a blessing to others. But the mistake that people often make is to look at these words and see failure. Where will Jesus find a person that is pure in heart, or another that is gentle or merciful? Here is where our discussion of Google Earth fits. In the same way that it uses many pictures to complete the whole, these nine statements are not nine different people that happen to fit these descriptions but is a composite picture of one person, or every person, that is a citizen in the kingdom of heaven. The other common mistake is to look at each of these statements as naturally occurring in someone. I am sure you know someone you might describe as gentle, because that is their nature. But that is not what Jesus is saying at all. To complete the composite picture, each element needs to be present and alive in the kingdom citizen. Another way of saying that is that each is not a random or natural occurring quality. It must be understood and deliberately practiced. But that also means Jesus can be anyone's king. The kingdom is open to anyone, no matter where they start, what they have done, where they are from, or what they might have. Each person needs to begin at the beginning and remake their heart to that of a kingdom citizen. So where does it start? The language of the native tribes to Alaska have many different words for what we simply call snow. They have one word for wet snow, and a different word for compacted snow, and a completely different word for snow flurries. The language reflects their everyday life. In a similar way, the Greek language had a number of different words that might be translated poor, but the specific word Jesus uses here paints a very specific picture, a picture from the world around them. This word describes someone who quite possibly will go hungry tonight.
They have no resources, no property, and no prospects. This word describes someone pleading with others to help them or they will die. The word that was used in the past to describe someone in this state would be beggar. But Jesus is not commenting on someone's economic state, but their spiritual one. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. What do you need to approach the kingdom of heaven? Do you need to be especially talented, knowledgeable, or declaring yourself unstained by sin? The clear answer from Jesus is no. Come with nothing in your hand. No status, pride, preconceived notions, or personal reservations. Jesus wants citizens that come with nothing, but they are not left with nothing. He completes the statement that those that come as beggars will be given the greatest of gifts, the gift of a place just for them. Peter talked about this idea when he described those that are citizens as, quote, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Coming to Jesus with empty hands, abandoned by the world, and humbled means becoming a brother or sister to the king, becoming a priest in royal service, abiding in a place governed by love, truth, and joy. Jesus simply says that the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When John later describes this place, he would say that there would be no more pain, no more crying or death, and he would wipe every tear from their eye. Just east of Paris is the town of Verdun. The land around parts of the town have not been farmed for more than a hundred years because it's too dangerous. Some experts believe that millions of unexploded artillery shells lie just under the surface of the ground. You see, the town of Verdun was the location of a horror that is difficult to grasp. Across just a few miles of territory and in less than a year, the German and French armies would fire more than 15 million explosive shells, about a third of which would simply sink into the soft mud and not explode. However, those that did explode would kill or wound over a million men. The area is a giant, dangerous, unmarked mass grave for over a million young men. This is the product of man's wisdom, desire, plans, pride, and ambition? Is there any wonder that Jesus says that the first quality of citizenship in his kingdom is to leave all of that behind? Come to Jesus with empty hands and take up the wisdom, the purpose, and the priorities of God. Man's history and wisdom has brought horror, while God offers life and peace. It is horrors like Verdun that take Jesus to the next statement of blessing. Blessed are they that mourn. The question that must be asked is, do you see what sin has done? Do you see the suffering, injustice, and violence brought about by those who would ignore the righteousness of God? Not everyone sees these actions for what they are. In fact, some celebrate the violence and the greed. But some seek a way of escape from what the world has become and from what they have become. One of the stories of Jesus' teaching involves a very wealthy but greedy man 
Trapped by his past and the choices he had made, he was isolated and ashamed. But when he heard that Jesus was coming to his city, he climbed a tree to get a view, a view of the one that could let him begin anew. Even though this man was well known as a crook, traitor, and sinner, Jesus stopped, told him to come down from the tree, and take him to his house so that they could eat and talk. This is the personal reason why Jesus says those that mourn will be comforted. The world's horrors are one thing, but each of us carries our own failures, regrets, mistakes, and shame. Jesus says, if you will see them for what they are, I can provide a solution. Jesus says, blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Sometimes this word gentle is translated meek. But one point of confusion is that meekness or gentleness is not weakness or being spineless. In the Bible story, a man was described as the meekest of men. His name was Moses. Yeah, that Moses. The lawgiver, the leader, the man that faced down the most powerful military and political leader of the time in Pharaoh. Moses was not a coward but had his actions under the control of something greater than his own ego. Meekness is not weakness. Some have used the illustration of a draft horse. A large draft horse is more than a ton of muscle and bone, capable of pulling enormous weight, yet are quite gentle because of their training. They have great power, but are directed by purpose and discipline. The idea that only the strong survive is what led to a battlefield of dead soldiers and today leads to crushed dreams, broken promises, and cruelty. Jesus does not say weakness will conquer the earth, but standing behind and following a heavenly king will. Binding our power and strength to the cause of Jesus means we will have the victory. The fourth statement of blessing speaks of what becomes a desire. Jesus says those that hunger and thirst for the rightness of God will be filled. But let's review where we have been. First, Jesus says, realize that your hands are empty. You have no coin or valuable with which to bargain. You need God, not the other way around. You come with a broken heart for what the world has become because of sin and what you have become because of sin. You realize that you must become a servant determined to be bound in that service to the king. But how to do that? What does service look like? What is the right path to take? You begin to crave that direction, that guidance, that understanding. Like a starving man searches for food or a parched man in a desert looks for water. And when you seek the right source, you find what you need. And even more because the process continues. With each discovery and moment of understanding, the cravings get even more pronounced. But the well does not go dry, and the table is never empty. For those that hunger for truth, the feast is always ready. We will continue our discussion of the opening of the Mountain Sermon next podcast. But know this, if you can imagine yourself there that day listening to Jesus, I can tell you what you would be feeling. You would feel uncomfortable. These words were intended to challenge each of us to consider what it would mean to be a part of a heavenly kingdom. Is it any wonder that it already looks very different than anything we have known before? We have only one small corner of our composite picture completed. 
we have much more to reveal of the kingdom citizen. Google Earth lets us see the physical world like never before. Pilate was wrong. Killing Jesus would not stop his kingdom from spreading throughout the Roman world, and it would not stop it from spreading across the centuries to today. What will the spiritual map of the Mountain Sermon reveal? Thank you for listening to this episode of By the Still Water. It is our desire that these messages reflect the true Word of God. If you would like to reach us, you can reach us by email at bythestillwater2024 at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook at By the Still Water Podcast. Please consider subscribing. This will alert you to new episodes when they are made available. Again, thank you for listening.